Welcome to Musing the Mysteries, a podcast by Barney Wiggett. What you'll find here are some recent musings about the God of the Bible and living in such a way as to bring him pleasure. Happy musing. I've been talking about actitudes, actitudes. Now, actitudes are attitudes and actions, attitudes that lead to actions. And I found all these lists in the New Testament that describe these actitudes. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, we, we looked at this James list of wisdom that comes from heaven that's first of all pure and peace loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit and uh, impartial and sincere. And then last week we looked at Second Peter. This is a great, I just, this chapter, I still can't quite um, get the impact of it. I'm not trying to get it out, but I mean, I just, it's continuing to impact me. These uh, uh, add to your faith, goodness and knowledge and self-control and perseverance and godliness and brotherly kindness and love. Um, but if I were to say which list in the New Testament of these Christ-like attitudes that lead to actions would you? It would be the most familiar to you if somebody said, "Where's there a list in the Bible of Christ-like characteristics?" I, I, I'm not sure that we'll all come up with the same answer, but at least we'll come up with one or two different ones. What would be the most common or the most Okay, we, did, we also looked at that. I didn't put it up, but we didn't actually teach on it. But 1 Corinthians 13, love. Yes. Fruit of the Spirit. Is that what you're going to say too, Terry? Yeah, fruit of the Spirit. That's the one we'll talk about today. Anybody else have one? I mentioned another one too. Beatitudes. The Beatitudes. The attitudes you ought to be having, and, you know, and um, Matthew 5. So, you know, let's look at the fruit of the Spirit today in Galatians chapter 5. If you want to turn your Bibles... Galatians 5. Let me read it out of the NIV now, if you want to follow along, if you have a Bible with you there. Uh, And would you do this? Notice the person who's mentioned a lot. As I read, maybe you already picked that up in the other version. But notice the person who's mentioned a lot. Don't tell anybody. It's a secret. Uh, Starting with verse 16. So I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit... And the spirit contrary to the sinful nature, they're in conflict with each other so that you cannot or that you do not do what you want. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. So you have these two lists, several of these portions with the lists of actitudes have this contrary, more, uh, you know, contrary list, toxic actitudes versus healthy, toxic and uh, twisted 
versus healthy and untwisting attitudes, contrasting the two. Um, notice the one is plural and the other one's singular, fruit of the Spirit, as though plural acts of the flesh or actions of the sinful nature, not everybody does all of those things. It's kind of a, a, a smorgasbord, but fruit of the Spirit, it comes together. It's not like, well, I just have patience, but none of that, you know, meekness stuff. You, you don't, it's not picking and choosing. It's like a diamond with nine sides. It's not nine uh, different kinds of fruit. It's one fruit. Uh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And we'll compare these two different toxic kind of uh, attitudes versus a, uh, a healthy one, okay? And their antidote. The first one would be the narcissist. I am everything. I'm everything. I am the center of the... That's a problem. Uh, and there are people who don't probably say it, but, but live that way. Has anybody read the book Blue Like Jazz? How many of you have read the book Blue Like Jazz? What a great uh, book that is. I encourage you to read it. I was telling Luke, I shouldn't probably just say this publicly. It's a little edgy, probably edgier than any other Christian book you've ever read. It just has some, but it's, I'm sorry? It's fine. It's fine, thank you. Luke thinks it's fine, so it's fine. It's a great book by Don Miller. Anyway, he said, uh, this is a, a couple of quotes. I haven't seen this movie that he references about a boy. I don't know to recommend that. But he says about a boy, this, re this movie that Hugh Grant is in, that he believes that, uh, that life is a play about himself and everybody else are just uh, subsidiary players in his movie, in his play, in his world, which is the world because the world is his. And uh, so Don Miller says, my, my life felt like that. Life was a story about me because... I was in every scene. I, in fact, I was the only one in every scene. I was everywhere I went. If somebody walked into my own my scene, it would frustrate me because they were disrupting the general theme of the play, namely, my comfort and glory. Other people were flat characters in my movie, lifeless characters. Sometimes I would have scenes with them, dialogue, and they would speak their lines and I would speak mine. But the movie, the grand movie stretching from Adam to the Antichrist was about me. He said, I was addicted to myself. I discovered that my mind is like a radio that picks up only one station. His name is Don Miller. It picks only one station up, the one that plays me, K-Don, all Don, all the time. That's my world. And he said, life is a story about me. And then he says, but no drug is so powerful as the drug of self. No rut in the mind is so deep as the one that says, I am, I am the world. The world belongs to me. All people are characters in my play. There is no addiction so powerful as self-addiction. Does somebody want to say amen to that? <laughs> That's toxic. That doesn't work. But the antidote for that, Paul uh, refers to as love, agape. It's this word we've already looked at in Peter's list. James didn't include it. He was probably too scared to include it. Peter included it at the end of his list. Paul starts with love. Peter ended with agape, this completely unconditional, sacrificial kind of love. Peter uh, probably ended with it because he was reluctant to ever, uh, well, 
Earlier in his life, he was, he was the man. He was addicted to himself. But later, after he had failed a bunch, and Jesus meets him on the beach at the Sea of Galilee and says to him in John 21, Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me unconditionally like this? And Peter earlier would have said, dude, I love you more than everybody else does. I am the man. I am your man. I'm your right-hand man. But now he's messed up, right? He failed the Lord. He denied the Lord three times. So Jesus says, do you agape me? And he goes, I uh, phileo you. I love you with brotherly kindness. We talked about that word last week. I like you as a brother. I like you a lot. I really like you. Because it's not that he doesn't love him as much as he used to. It's that he is not so cocky. He's not so arrogant as to think that he is the man, the spiritual man now. So he goes, I don't think I do. I would have said, but not now. I don't, I, I like you. Jesus says, feed my sheep. And then he goes, do you agape me? A second time. And he goes, I really phileo you. Third time now, Jesus says, do you phileo me? Do you even really like me? You know, and, and Peter is, he goes, you know, all things. I can almost see a, hes you know, a hesitation. Yeah, I like you. In other words, he's thinking another trial's coming along, that he's going to fail and not live up to that standard that he's even espousing. But he's, he's learned how to gradually, through humility, come to a place of really genuinely loving Jesus unconditionally. And he advocates that. And loving people unconditionally, not that he did it perfectly, but I mean, that's the aspiration. That's the goal. That's the bars set that high. Uh, the antidote for narcissism is agape, Okay. Then you've got the victim. The victim says, my pain is everything. They live a life of victimhood. You hear a victim say often, it's not fair. They have something more than I do. Things will never work for me. My life is really pretty much about me and my problems. Usually a victim prays uh, and it sounds like whining out loud. I know from experience of my own uh, that uh, my prayers sometimes sound like, whining out loud. Who has, there's, uh, who has Psalm 1014? Psalm 1014, who has that? The victim commits himself to you. Victim is only used twice in the Bible and once here and once in Habakkuk. But the victim, what the, the, the victim should do, and, and, and in this case, the victim is a fatherless person, genuinely a victim, but he says he takes trouble in hand and the victim commits himself to, to the Lord and the Lord takes care um, but the antidote to this spirit of victimhood, I think, is joy, kara. I will live my life with gratitude rather than my pain is everything. I like that definition of joy, uh, living a life of, with gratitude. And I was thinking about an attitude of gratitude, and I was thinking about the time when it says Jesus had joy in Hebrews. Does anybody remember this one? In Hebrews 12, I, this is a little obscure, this question here, so if we don't follow it, I'm... I understand. That's right. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Do you remember that verse? Jesus for the joy set before him. So in, in this case, it doesn't say the joy he had, the joy that was in him, the joy that he constantly lived with, but the joy that was in front of him. And I think sometimes this is the way to live a lifestyle of joy is that it's in front of us. We know that we're going to have complete 100%, 24-7 well, the 24-7 in the eternal state is an oxymoron, right? But you know what I mean. So in that eternal state, it's always going to be 
joy. So joy, to have it now, I think, is to always have it in front of us. For him, the joy set before him was you, us. We were the joy set before him. He knew he was going to save us by going to the cross so he could endure the cross with that joy set in front of him. So I'm thinking that the, uh, one of the keys to joy is to have the, 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 the future ahead uh, in our hearts and in our minds. It's an, it's an antidote, I think, to victimhood. Um, we might mention the fighter. Winning is everything. This, this person whose who's, who's, uh, personality type and life is all about winning and being better than. And the antidote for the fighter is, of course, peace. Irene, I will have serenity despite conflict and confusion. And I say despite because peace doesn't necessarily mean the absence of conflict. Peace means I respond to conflict in with the peace of God that passes understanding to guard my heart and mind through Christ Jesus. When you are at peace, you're a pretty good peacemaker. Have you ever seen somebody that is, that's, an ag, that's agitated, tried to take agitation out of somebody else's relationship? You don't get to be a good peacemaker if you don't have any peace. But, but if you're at peace, you're a safe person to be with for people in conflict or in pain. And a lot of times, people that are in conflict and pain, they're, they're not really so much needing a solution. They just need somebody safe to sit with. Does that make sense? And if, you're, if you're not at peace, you're not one of those safe to sit with people. Jerry Cook talked about this in his article, and he said, someone to lay down with you on the hard floor of disappointment so you don't have to cry alone. Who has the James 4 passage, if you'll read that one? How about John 14, 27? Yeah, so he's going to give his peace. He doesn't give the same kind of peace the world gives, and he doesn't give it in the same way. It's different. It's not drug-induced. I was thinking about this the other day, how I think, having had a drug past of my own before I met Jesus, that I, one of many things that I think is the lure of uh, inebriation or uh, drug use is its physical similarity of, I think it's, it's an alternative to the presence of God. An alternative to the, it's not a good alternative. I'm not saying it works. I'm just saying for, momentarily feels like sometimes the presence of God puts me in a peaceful state that uh, before I met Jesus, I had to smoke a joint to get. Do you see what I'm saying? And I think that's one of the demonic lures of uh, drugs and alcohol is that it is an alternative. And what a shame, too, because we're made for God and for his presence and his glory and his pleasure and to hang out with him and to know him and for people to get all loaded all the time and, and not really ever come into the enjoyment of this God that loves us so uh, passionately and ruthlessly and to miss out on that because of the uh, cheap alternatives. Uh, the perfectionist, the perfectionist says perfection is everything. Tends to do uh, to not have really good long-standing relationships, and the reason is because they either drive people away who can't stand their perfectionism any longer, or they leave people because people can't rise to the occasion to 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 their level of perfectionism. So they either they drive them away. Or they leave people because, well, they're just not getting it kind of thing. But the antidote is patience. 
Uh, actually, uh, uh, other versions call this long-suffering macrothumia. Is takes a long time to get really ticked off. Jerry Cook said some of the, something like this that I just thought this was a great definition of patience or long-suffering. Being content with God's pace and agenda for myself and for others. Being content with God's pace and agenda. Am I the only perfectionistic person here? Being, pay, being a content with God's pace and agenda. Because I think a lot of times we're irritated by people, but we don't have any idea what God's pace and agenda is with them. We don't even know what his pace and agenda is. We, we read a book, we read a verse, we talk to somebody, we know our, his pace with us, and I want his pace to be with you as at least as much as it is with me. Perfectionists aren't patient with God's pace uh, and agenda. Uh, perfectionism sees performance and patience sees people. It gives people a chance, patience gives people a chance to develop. I'm just in the last few years gardening with like vegetables. They, we, plant, we plant them and they, we eat them. But there's all this in between, the planting and the eating and the buying and the cultivating and the pulling of the weeds and the, they, all that. I, I plant them and I'm, I'm, I'm looking for them for dinner is what I'm saying. I, I want these tomatoes for dinner tonight. Just isn't on the agenda. That's not the pace that God put there. Then you got the user, and I don't mean like the drug user, but I mean the people user. Achievement is everything. Do you ever feel uh, like to be uh, around a certain individual that you exist to make them successful? They've got an agenda for you rather than just have a relationship with you? See, the thing about having an agenda for people is it usually benefits the agenda maker, not the agendized. Now that's a new word. I like that. Agendized. Does anybody ever feel agendized by other, do you know what I'm saying? And because usually when you're agendized by agenda makers, the agenda benefits the agenda maker, not the agendized. Put that in your Wiggadism dictionary. It's right in there, agendized. Kindness is the... Uh, is the alternative, is the antidote. I will genuinely care about people. A kind person will not always agree with you, but if he does disagree, you're still safe with him. You're valuable to him. You're not just a function, and you're not just significant. This is Christianity now, okay? You're not just significant because of your function and your functionality to them. You're significant because you're human like he is. Kindness. You know, users are after you. Kindness, kind people are with you. Help us, Jesus. I, I, does this convict you? I'm just dying up here with all this stuff, it, uh, thinking about how bad you are. Uh, <laughs> then there's the chameleon Acceptance is everything. They change color with the different groups because they want to be accepted by everybody. And everybody needs to, you know, it's, it's about making everybody happy. The sum total, that, this person is a sum total of everybody else's opinions of them. Approval at all costs. See, to this person, see, it's uncomfortable to be disapproved of for anybody. It, nobody likes disapproval. 
But to this person, it's not just uncomfortable, it's lethal. This is deadly. To this person, disapproval is their toast if they can't make everybody happy. And by doing that, to make everybody happy, they have to be like a chameleon that changes colors all the time. The antidote is this, this biblical fruit of goodness. I will live with integrity at all costs. In other words, I don't change by the group or the person. I, I just am. And in fact, Billy Graham said this, is that, that integrity is uh, that you're the same person in private as you are in public. Now, let me just put a little, maybe he said this. I only heard that part. That is, if you're good in public, and I mean, you're good. You know what I'm saying? If your integrity isn't if you're really a bad person in public, then being a bad person in private is integrity. No, if you're a good person in public, then you're a good person in private when nobody's looking. Uh, integrity. Actually, the word integrity means whole, uh, un, undivided, complete, you know. And uh, goodness is a good word for that. Um, it's not just when you're around good people. Chameleon. And then you got your, the free spirit. Freedom is everything. This person is, uh, doesn't make commitments, or, or if they do, they make them flippantly and don't keep them because they want to be free. It would just bind me up if I made a commitment, so I'm not going to make up one. Or it would bind me up if you expected me to actually keep the commitment that I made to you. So this person's relationships are all short-term and shallow. Don't last long because you can't have a friendship that lasts very long with people or with God without making a commitment and keeping it. This person is a free spirit. They want to keep their options open all the time. And that, that, includes, you know, that includes a relationship with God. When the relationship begins to take effort, they're out. Every relationship takes effort. Somebody say amen to what I'm saying. Is that right? I mean, I mean the first five minutes, it doesn't take any effort. But after that, about the sixth minute or so, now we're going to have to work on this. What did he say? Love God, love people. There you go. Any questions? You know, I mean, that's it. And this is part of it. And so uh, this free spirit, the antidote is faithfulness. He gives us this fruit of the spirit. Faithfulness. I will be strong under the pressure to quit. Faith gives us, faithfulness gives us the stamina when the fun in the relationship is gone. It's not always fun to relate to God or people. It's a matter of faithfulness, making a commitment and keeping it. Who has 1 Corinthians 4, 2? And it's required that as a servant of God, that I'm faithful to my master. The power broker is the person who says control is everything. Relationships have to stay in control with God and with people it's, they have to stay, this person has to stay in control, uh, like a Jacob or a Peter in the New Testament, or in the Old and New Testaments, respectively. Usually, a person that needs to stay in control came out of a childhood that was out of control, and as a result, have now developed a, just a deep sense of insecurity when things are not under control. Adult child of an alcoholic... Uh, abandonment issues and so on like that. So, so there's this, there's a tendency to want to control 
uh, situations as a result of uh, maybe some background things. And the antidote, I think, is gentleness. Uh, proud taste, it's usually translated meekness. I will have a quiet and humble strength. Meekness is uh, where Jesus said, well, actually, who has uh, Matthew 5.5? 5? No, uh, meekness doesn't mean weak. It means have a strength under control. And the Greeks would, uh, for their armies, go up in the hills and get these stallions and tr bring them back down and train them, huge, strong horses. And then they would train them so well, and they were such smart horses, and they were such smart trainers, that just the smallest nudge of the rider would get them to do what they... They were strong, but they were under control. Meekness is like that. It's incredibly strong, but responsive to God's nudge. Um, the meek person doesn't have anything to prove. They don't have to control people around them. The runaway truck. Uh, having my own way is everything. Uh, the, the antidote to the runaway truck is self-control, enkratia. I have the strength from the inside that, that determines what I do on the outside. Um, you know, if you don't have strength on the inside to control yourself, what you'll look for is stuff on the outside to control you, and it will. It will. See, if you don't have the control panel on the inside, then you're going to find a panel of people, of opinions, to control you from the outside. And if the inside, if Jesus in you gives you standards and uh, righteous ways to live, and you then have the strength from inside out to live those, then you'll have the antidote to this outside pressure of the world to be look like this, act like this, talk like this, feel like this, have this. I'm saying self-control is where you get it from inside. Otherwise, something from the outside will control you. Self-control and kratia, strength from the inside. Who did you find when you read it was the person repeated over and over? Who was the person con continued to re be repeated? Who was the person most often repeated in the passage? Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Yeah. He, he talks about being uh, lived by the Spirit, led by the Spirit, walk in the Spirit. You need the Holy... I'm not talking about this being in your own strength. Nothing I've said today is possible. Nothing I've said today is humanly possible. Everything I've said today is divinely possible. God in you, inside. He's a living Savior, right? You walk with him and he'll empower you. Not law, not legalism, that's a Galatians theme. But him in you, strengthening you. A flea rode on the nose of the ox when the ox was out in the field plowing all day. And then coming back home through the town, the flea bragged to all his friends, we were plowing today. Well, he just rode on the nose. And for you to say, I'm holy, I'm righteous. No, that's Jesus in you, honey. That's him inside you. You don't really, your job is to cooperate. His job is to operate the power that you need to do that. Amen? One last verse. Who has Galatians 3.3? I started with supernatural power and now I'm going to do the Christian life on my own? That's foolish. Doesn't work. That's sweaty. Sweaty spirituality. 
where you have to wince and groan and try to make the Christian life happen as opposed to letting him live his life through you. And there will be some sweat involved in terms of just cooperating and getting crucified over and over again. But it's not a sweaty spirituality. Okay, making sense? Fruit, uh, lifestyle cha uh, challenges, him inside us, living his sweet life through us. Let's pray. My God, we sure need your help to live this way, to live with all the healthy spiritual fruit that the Holy Spirit empowers us to live in and to avoid and to attack and even spray with Roundup uh, those weeds of those toxic kinds of things that would uh, ruin our lives and the lives of people around us. God, help us, help us, help us, Lord. Oh